You're tuning into Parenting Naked, a collaborative to help navigate the celebrations and challenges of parenting. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Parenting Naked. This is Misty White. We've got Gretchen Levy and Danan Moore here as well. Hi, guys. Hello. We wanted to go back in today and just reintroduce ourselves if you are new to the podcast. Um, I think it's important that you guys know who you're listening to. My name is Misty White. Uh, I am one of the co-founders of Parenting Naked. I am currently 41 years old. I have three children. Two are biological and one is adopted. Uh, My interest in doing Parenting Naked um, comes from being a mom myself and kind of tripping through some obstacles that I was not aware of going into pregnancy, Um, and then watching some of my closest friends and people around me uh, kind of tripping through being a parent at times. So I thought it was important to start talking about some of these things that I was witnessing and going through and seeing if we couldn't find a platform to help. Um, My background is in counseling. I have my master's degree and I'm licensed in community counseling, family, and marriage therapy. Um, I work with traumatized children. I work with adults with early childhood trauma. I am a consultant with EMDR, and I really like what I do. I'm excited to move forward with my therapy degree and also um, my role in working with new families. Hi, I'm Gretchen Levy. Um, I'm also a licensed clinical social worker. I guess not also. Misty's an LPC. Yep. <laughs> um, but I'm also a mental health professional. I'm 41. I have two kids. Um, I have been working with children. I started in child and family advocacy back in 2004. So help me with the math. Where are we at? Ooh, I 2020. So oh, wow. 16 years. 16 years working with children and families. Um I have focused on interpersonal trauma, um, has been a specialty of mine, and I work exclusively with children and adolescents and families at a um, pediatric office here in the Denver area. So I'm Danan. I have um, two children, two boys. They're teenagers, 16 and 18. I'm 43, and I have a degree in psychology, uh, just a bachelor's degree, and I worked in the field of counseling for 10 years with adolescent girls and um, adult mental health patients. And past that, I'm an entrepreneur. I've owned and operated my own businesses. And here at Parenting Naked, I am one of the founders and right now playing the role of podcast and social media operations. So thanks for bearing with us. Um, I'm definitely not an expert in social media or podcast management, but we're making it happen. Right. Thank you. We're making it happen. So I wanted to take a minute to just thank all of you listeners. This is our 13th episode, and we're really excited to be able to produce this. We're producing it in my basement. Yay! Um, but we hope and we ask that you all will share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, other parents. Misty brought up a good um, recommendation. Grandparents, mm-hmm. family members that mm-hmm. are extended, maybe caretakers for young children. Um, but share our mission, our vision with your network, because we really, truly think there's value in what we're doing. Um, if we can help somebody in a small way, that's great. If we can help somebody in a big way, that's great. Mm-hmm. And here at Parenting Naked, we like to say it does take a village. We can't do this alone. There is no 
manual or instruction book that we get when we have children. So, you know, help us out. So to all our new moms and dads out there, I do encourage you to be vulnerable. Um, let down your guard. Know that you're not less than something or weak. Ask for help when you're in need. And that's mm -hmm. something that we really value here at Parenting Naked is we can't be a village if we put up that guard and pretend everything's great. Um, while things are great and blissful with raising children, there are also difficulties. So again, we thank you all. Thanks so much to our listeners and followers. If you'd like to be a voice in our community or you have an idea to share or a story to tell, please collaborate. That's what we're all about. Email us. We're a community of parents navigating the celebrations and challenges of parenting together. So you can reach us um, on Facebook at Parenting Naked or visit our website at ParentingNaked.com. And we're here. We need you. We need your support. Yes. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Danan, for all of that. We really appreciate it. Um, I know some, we were talking about this a little bit earlier before we started recording. Sometimes I think we should record our pre-recorded conversations. <laughs> behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. We were talking about the name of our our of our collaboration. And I often get, why, why parenting naked? It seems a little provocative. Um, and that was part of it. We wanted it to be provocative. We wanted people to be curious about it. But I think the biggest thing that we want you to take away is the naked part means that we're just bearing the truth, that we're not going to hide behind pretty things. We're not going to hide behind things that we're going to get judged about. Um, you know, we're, we're open to feedback. I'm sure that if people start listening, we might get some negative judgments coming back and we're okay because we're bearing it all. We're being naked. And that's part of what we want other people to be is honest and genuine and kind of naked in how they're feeling so we can be supportive. So I just wanted yeah. to put that out there. That's why we we landed on parenting naked. Yes. <laughs> Even though Danan came up with a lot of brilliant names. Think of the naked truth. The naked Sometimes truth. it takes the naked truth to grow yeah. and move mm -hmm. forward. Yep. Yep. Hallelujah. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the hot topic of attachment. A lot of people, I think, are scared of this word. <laughs> we, I think we uh, have, I know I've been avoiding wanting to do this topic and not because I'm afraid to talk about attachment but because I get really clinical with it um, and I know that I go to that um, even when uh, I got sent over some of the topics I was like oh man how do I separate the clinician brain from my parenting brain and I thought well Danan's gonna be the the study and and representing really the true parenting part and I will too so if I tend to get a little clinical I apologize for it it's just um something I love to talk about and passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, I first learned about attachment in uh, my undergrad. I was taking a lot of early childhood education classes because I was going to be a director for a child care center. I thought that's where my life was destined to be. Um, and that's where I started learning about uh, John Bowlby, Mary Ainsworth, Dr. Bruce Perry, and talking about attachment. And uh, one of my biggest takeaways is how important, how important parenting is in the very beginning stages of being a parent. Um, and really what I've learned is that attachment really starts in utero. And how can we really help 
nurture even our fetus if we decide to keep it um, and move forward with being connected and having a healthy attachment. So that's one of the things that I think we've agreed on is to really focus on attaching healthily to our children and kind of getting away from some of the myths about uh, not being able to attach to the kids by either not breastfeeding. If you don't breastfeed, you're not going to properly attach to your children. That is a myth, people. I need you to hear me loud and clear. It is true. <laughs> yeah, I want you, you don't to... have to breastfeed. Yeah, yep. And your baby will be fine. Yes, we'll be fine. So um, I'm excited again to talk about attachment. Um, I think we're going to try to be quick and dirty about the definition of it and then kind of get into how to how to have a secure attachment with our kiddos. Um, but basically there's there's four different attachment styles, the quick and dirty version. The first one is the one that we all strive for. We all would really, really like to have a secure attachment to our children. Mm-hmm. And um, 65% of the population, apparently, according yes. to this yeah. article on Center for Attachment and Trauma Services, is securely attached. Nice. So more than half of us yep. half of are us. securely attached. But we can get those numbers up, I think, by just doing well, really simple things. Oh, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think yeah. we can get the numbers up if we get the word out. Yes. For yeah, sure. for sure. Because I think people just, you know, again, trip kind of through the door and then go, oh, I'm a horrible parent and this is no use. Like I'm already not doing mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to be doing. And then you kind of spiral downward. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so, so, such easy, tangible things that you can be doing to secure that attachment. Even if you're um, going through postpartum anxiety or depression, you know, simply just reading a magazine out loud while holding your child can build that connection. So mm-hmm. um, we'll go through some concrete ways to, to make that connection. But that one, you know, the secure attachment really is, I think, what we all we all really strive for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obtainable. I think it's really important to know that it's obtainable. Um, the next one that I want to talk about, um, and I'm not going to go through the definitions of it because Danan is going to post, uh, you know, the different, the different types and where you can go with it. Um, but the next one is really, a, it's called the avoidant attachment. And the avoidant attachment really, well, first of all, people are going to want to know, when is attachment? When does it start? Dr. Bruce Perry, I th- uh, you know, talks about it happening uh, a little bit later in infancy. Um, I, I tend to think that it happens the second the baby is born, you know, whether we're really looking at attachment with the baby, whether, you know, we're going through trauma. I just saw a statistic that I want to say, of women feel like their deliveries were traumatic. Hmm. 30% of women say that their deliveries were traumatic. Now imagine having a traumatic birthing experience and then feeling like you need to attach right away. And when you're like kind of already in in shock. I need to just maybe put myself back together. Yeah. Yeah. Like, (laughs) oh my goodness. So first. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I I think we all (laughs) need a minute to breathe after having a baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing that even if it's traumatic, you can still connect in a healthy way to your children. Mm -hmm. But we want to put that out there that we understand that a lot of these deliveries can be really, really challenging. The other thing I kind of want to back up and talk about attachment, it doesn't necessarily have to be mom is the one that's forming Mm -hmm. that primary attachment. So 
again, moms, if you are in a place that you're really struggling to attach for whatever reason, if you have a partner who is healthy and in a good place, they can create that secure attachment. And it doesn't mean that that child is just going to want that person. It just means that their template, the baby's template, the way that they view the world Mm -hmm. is going to go, oh, you know what? There are safe people out there. There Mm -hmm. are people that really care about me. And they're going to generalize that to whomever is around them. So that's why we're saying it takes a village. Even if you've got that sweet next door neighbor or a friend that likes to come over, have them hold the baby. It doesn't necessarily have to be mom to make it a secure attachment. It can be granny. It can be grandpa too. Yes. (laughs) All grandpas are so important. (laughs) So the first attachment style is the secure attachment. Um, The second one is called avoidant attachment. And the avoidant attachment can happen in a number of different ways. It could happen because mom could be unintentionally not being able to connect to child. And again, this encompasses both postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. It could just really be that she's struggling to attach to this new little person. You can have a hard time attaching to your little person even without postpartum. And I I think that that's also something to talk about. We talk a lot about like, oh, you know, postpartum anxiety and depression, but sometimes you aren't suffering from that and still are struggling to attach to your child. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that this would lead to an insecure attachment, but like I think of when August had um, colic and just my thinking that our attachment was off. Yeah. Because I, I couldn't find out how to soothe her. Mm. I couldn't seem like no matter what I did would comfort her. Yeah. And in reality, no, she's completely securely attached. Yeah. Um, but there are those instances where you worry, you know, that, oh, you know, if we're not always, like, if I don't know every, I can't predict my kids' needs or respond in the appropriate way and mm-hmm. make them comfortable, make them stop crying. So. Well, yeah. and And again, it takes routine and repetitive times Mm -hmm. of not being able to connect to your child over a span of several months to years to form this attachment style. So it's not like one night (laughs) you were ready to lose your mind and you put baby in the crib (laughs) and you let baby cry. You have not damaged that attachment. This is Mm -hmm. something that happens gradually over time and baby starts to learn is this person going to be here when I cry more often than not? Can I depend on this person more often than not? If they feel like, man, it's a crapshoot. Sometimes they might come in and sometimes they might not. You might start having a child developing an avoidant personality type. And where that baby may reject you when you come in or may not be soothed or may ignore you completely and not even really react. But that takes a lot of time and effort um, of not being able to connect to your child. Okay, so let's quickly recap. So the secure attachment has the child feeling low avoidance and low anxiety. They feel comfortable with intimacy. They're not worried about feeling rejected or preoccupied with relationships. They feel easily close to people. They feel comfortable and they know that either my needs are going to get met immediately or eventually, but they know and feel calm about they're going to get things, their needs met, and they feel good about themselves and their relationships. 
Avoidant personality is high on avoidance. They want to stay clear of relationships because they get let down. They feel dismissed. They feel uncared for at times. And therefore, they experience low anxiety at times because they're not really interacting with people. They feel um, uncomfortable with being close to people. They find it difficult to trust people because they are predictable of not getting my needs met. And so I'm just going to avoid even trying to get my needs met. Um, they feel independent, but they also feel inefficient. Um, and they feel like their partner may want to be intimate with them, but they feel uncomfortable with that intimacy. The third one is anxious. Um, this is when you have um, a child that Maybe their, their parents and caregivers are anxious themselves. The parents may be unsure of how to parent. Um, they may have an insecure or an, an insecure, anxious attachment themselves, feeling like I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough to parent you. You should have had somebody else as a parent. Um, So-and-so's mom over there does a much better job parenting her child than I am with my child. Caregiver may second guess everything that they're doing. Um, and in turn, they may avoid meeting a child's needs. So the anxious uh, personality type or attachment st style is low on avoidance, but high in anxiety. They really crave, these kiddos crave closeness and intimacy. They want to feel secure in relationships, um, but they feel like they're not being reciprocated. Their parents, for some reason, meet them with anger or meet them with uh, obtuseness around what they're feeling. And this causes anxiety in the kiddo. And the kiddo feels like, you don't value me. You don't, you don't love me. And so I don't know what to do with this. And I'm going to follow you around because I crave closeness so much. But unintentionally, I'm going to make comments that push you away. Um, they feel really unloved. They feel like they're not valued and that you're going to abandon me. Please don't abandon me, but they may do things in turn that push people away. And I think for, for parents to be really self-aware around, are you anxious in your parenting? Do you feel like you're not good enough? Do you feel like your partner may leave you at any time if you misstep? Do you feel like you're not doing the bottle right or you're not holding the baby right or you don't know what to do and it just creates so much anxiety in you that the kiddo feels this too and you just unintentionally or intentionally avoid meeting your child's needs because you feel too anxious to actually meet the kiddo where they are. And in turn, the, fit, the kiddo starts feeling really really anxious as well and then looks at caregiver going I want you so bad to be close to me but you can't meet my needs or you're unpredictable when you do come and meet my needs I don't know if you're going to be angry I don't know if you're going to yell I don't know if you're going to be kind or caring I want you close to me but I'm also scared that you're going to leave me that's a really difficult place for little kiddos to be and I know a lot of adults that have an anxious attachment style. Uh, Randall definitely has an attachment style that is filled and riddled with anxiety um, because he didn't have consistent uh, caregivers uh, in the capacity that he needed them to meet his emotional needs. His physical needs were always met, but his emotional needs, he was often told, you know, suck it up or throw dirt on it or you're okay and really felt 
dismissed at times and really felt like, gosh, maybe my needs are not important and I feel pretty anxious because I feel this way. I feel like I need to be close with people, but people have let me down and uh, I feel like you're going to let me down and you're going to leave me because I'm not good enough. And uh, so there's, there's this real intensity to attachment styles because there's so much anxiety. So then there's an attachment style that's disorganized attachment style. And this is kind of when you've got... Um, push and pull. Yes, the push and pull. <laughs> Sometimes the clinicians definitely um, put personality disorders into this one, this, this disorganized attachment, because the child doesn't know whether to run to you or run away from you. And the parent doesn't know whether to come forward or to run away from you. Mm -hmm. So if you notice, there's a lot of mirroring behaviors happening um, with all of these attachment styles. And so the disorganized one is really where a child um, could have some abusive scenarios that have happened, um, you know, lots of domestic violence in the home, the, the starter response of this child. Um, really, their template is, I'm not sure how safe this environment is. So I'm either going to scream and cry and get my needs met, or I'm going to completely shut down. And when my needs are getting met, I'm not going to react in any kind of way to whoever is trying to come in and help. Mm -hmm. So the four attachment styles, secure attachment, avoidant attachment, ambivalent slash anxious attachment, and disorganized attachment. The th nice thing is a baby probably in a healthy home experiences all of these at some time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know that there have been times where I have been exhausted. Then I will hear one of my kiddos in, in the crib and I'm like, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can't go in there. I'm mm -hmm. exhausted. Mm -hmm. Or I do go in there and probably meet them with an angry affect because I'm so exhausted. It's just like, I'm done. Like, I have to go to sleep. Like, yeah. I've been up with you 20 <laughs> times today. Yeah. Um, and so giving permission that even if you kind of sway in and out of any of these four, as long as you're attempting to land in the secure attachment and provide that healthy bonding, you're you're going in a good direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the research around attachment says that you're striving for 30% of the time. And for me as a parent, like hearing that gives me a lot of relief. Like mm -hmm. I don't have to be perfect. Like if we're in like synchronicity 30% of the time, then we're securely attached. That means 70% yeah. of the time I can be frustrated when she peed her pants mm -hmm. just now. I'm not going to like shame her about it, but like if we, if I look frustrated and then she starts to cry, there's also something to be said for the rupture and repair process and how mm -hmm. critical that is to child development. Mm -hmm. You have to have that process. And then you develop this internal working model of like, how do you navigate relationships? Right. Mm -hmm. right. Because it's not like any relationship in your life ever Burr. is going to be synchronicity a hundred percent of the time. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist. Like we are human beings with different sets of needs, desires, wants, and we, negotiate yeah. those constantly mm -hmm. um and so for me just not I mean as a clinician sure but like m more as a parent like I find some great relief in that in in that research just be like oh, okay so perfect is not the aim yeah oh gosh yeah. no I yeah 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 it's not the aim because I've seen actually an over secure relationship too and that's where like the enmeshment comes in mm -hmm. you know it's like oh geez like I don't know where mom starts and the child begins like there's such a measurement uh -huh. there because uh -huh. 
they're together all the time. And I think that's where hyper comes in, hyper vigilance comes in is you're like, oh, I've got to, I've got to bond and I've got to make this, like, I've got to meet their every single need. I've got to mm-hmm. be there at their every whim. And that's exhausting. Well, it's also and, yeah. not good for the child no. because the yeah. child needs to learn that relationships and people can be predictable and sometimes I'm going to have to meet my own needs, mm-hmm. right? Like sure. my daughter cried the other night for it. You guys, I like almost recorded it just so we could put it on this podcast. Cause I was like, <laughs> this is absolutely insane. Yeah. It was like a feedback loop of just like, I don't want to be in my crib. I don't want to be in my crib for an hour and 20 minutes. But it got to this point where she was waking up three times a night and she is two and a half. And you can tell that like there's actually nothing she truly needs because Mm -hmm. she will cycle through everything that she can think of to ask for. Yeah. My diaper's wet when it's not wet. (laughs) My, I need water. Mm -hmm. I'm hungry. Yeah. I don't want my door open. Like, I mean, just like every single thing and. I don't forget where I was even going with that, but... Well, they have to experience some kind of anxiety. Self-soothing. Self-soothing, yep. She has to learn to do it. And that's where Adam and I were finally like, okay, we cannot go in there. Like, we cannot go in there. She's safe. She's not in harm's way. Mm -hmm. We can't keep doing this. Yep. And you just pinged a memory of mine. Uh, You know, stress is so key to development, I feel like as a society, parents, oh gosh, I get so many calls all the time for like seven, eight-year-olds who are experiencing extreme anxiety. And I just feel like we really need to get the message out there that stress is so important. It's a key emotion that we need in order to survive and to be motivated. Mm-hmm. And when we know that stress is predictable, we know when it's coming, uh, we you know, we can, we can handle it at that point. But there's so many people who are like, my child is distressed. I need to jump in and rescue them. Mm -hmm. You know, hence the helicopter term, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's not doing the kids any kind of good, but Mm -hmm. it's a balancing act because we also don't want to overstress our children and not take care of their needs. There are so many times, Gretchen, that was even with Memphis, you know, he's been waking up, he's two and a half in the last, I don't know, three weeks, he's been waking up two, three, four times a night. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like this blood curdling scream and we're like, what is happening? And sometimes we can soothe him and he can self-soothe and go to sleep within like a minute. And other times like Friday night, we were up with him until midnight and we were like, what is going on? It was a full moon on Friday. Was it? It was the wolf moon. Uh, What's that mean? Apparently, (laughs) the wolf moon is in January, and it's when the wolves are more vocal than any other full moon throughout the year. I think I have wolf So maybe we're all part wolf, right? (laughs) That's right. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. But, I mean, luckily Randall, he got up with Memphis. But, I mean, there are times I'm like, I'm just so tired. The one thing that I will say, and I may get wicked backlash for saying this, but I'm going to say it and I'm going to stand Be naked. Be naked. I'm going to be naked. (laughs) I do not agree with the cry it out method. I will never stand behind the cry it out method. So hear me loud and clear, everyone. I'm standing proud and boldly behind. I will not let my children cry it out. Again, because of attachment things, especially over a pattern time of night every night if you're allowing your child to cry it out with any kind of coming in and reassuring 
you could be forming some of these negative attachments. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people don't agree with it, and so I'm owning Wait, of my opinion. Did I say that, I mean, what I just described no. is kind of crying it out. No, Isn't you were it? going in and checking in. Um, only in the beginning. And then I let her continue <laughs> until she got tired enough to go to sleep. <laughs> but you were checking in. There well, are some people like putting in. Yeah, we probably need to define the crying were, it out. Right. Yeah. And you um, were already evaluating she's in a safe place. Yeah. There isn't anything that can harm her. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. You evaluated it mm -hmm. and then. Yeah. But and I think a difference might be is that she's demonstrating a pattern of negative attention seeking or attention yes. seeking through negative behavior mm -hmm. over and over to the point that it's now created this big sleep disruption for our family. And so it's not like there wasn't a pattern there, right? Like mm -hmm. some people prescribe to cry it out, like no matter what. No matter what. Probably and throughout the day. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, anytime. Yeah. Clinicians, wow. like I was just, I'm on a mommy forum there. It's mommies in private practice forum. And there was um, a clinician, a mommy clinician, that was so frustrated because she's like, I went to the doctor and the nurse told me to just let my baby cry it out for mm -hmm. like two or three weeks straight. Do Put your baby down. Do not check on the baby until you wake up in the morning and you're ready to go in. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, we've got professionals saying, ignore your child for 10 hours, 12, 12 yeah. hours straight. And let them cry it out without coming in and saying, I hear you. Let's try everything. You know, there's a lot of really good yeah. techniques out there. Um, you know all the, the names of a lot of them. But they've what? got, like, the like sleeping. Um, oh. oh, you mean, like, the different the different books? Yeah, or? about how to get your child to sleep and different techniques for sleep uh, training. That's the word I'm yeah, looking for. Yeah. Sleep training. And there's a lot of really good sleep training techniques. Mm -hmm. And in those books, you will never read Let Your Child Cry It Out for Eight <laughs> Hours Straight. Well, first of all, you, if you let your child cry it out for eight oh. hours, I think you're going to end up crying it out oh, for something geez. too, right? Yeah. One takeaway I had when I did some research on attachment theory and that kind of thing because I'm not a clinician. I think it's really important if someone gives somebody advice to let their child cry it out, let's talk about how old that child is. But when you have a, a newborn and they can't articulate with words or gestures mm -hmm. or what they, don't they need, yeah, or they can't self-soothe, mm -hmm. crying means they need something. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, it's food or a cuddle or a dry diaper, I think it's important not to let your child cry it out, whatever your viewpoint is, when they are an infant and they, they're nonverbal, right? Mm -hmm. They can't tell you, except in a cry, what they need, mm -hmm. that they need something. Yeah. Well, and I think when we talk about um, developmentally appropriate practices, mm -hmm. we can go more into like what age of development is it then appropriate to say, I'm not coming back in. Yeah. Right? After you're done talking, after you've met all of the hierarchy of needs, mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. they're safe, they're warm, they're dry, they're fed, you've gone down your checklist, and now it's time to say, okay, now this just mm -hmm. seems like an op oppositional behavior, now I'm not coming back in. Like, now it's time to go to sleep. I don't know child development as well, but is two and a half years old where they start to get that sense of fear through the night? 
I mean, Memphis definitely, he, he is having a lot of nightmares. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and Randall, his brain is going to, well, this could be an attachment concern because he's adopted. And it's so funny to hear Randall talk about clinical things like that. It's sweet, (laughs) but I'm like, I don't think so. Um, you know, but he's being exposed to so many new things, right? His little brain, I think, is trying to integrate Everything. Longer days at mm-hmm. school, yeah. preschool, right? And yeah. Mm-hmm. Longer duration away from mom and what's comfortable and familiar yeah. around his siblings. So yeah. I'm, I was just curious, and I know that's another podcast episode, but mm-hmm. because both of they're both your children age. are about the yeah. same yeah. age, yeah. Sure this, that's yeah. a curious Yeah, you know that, that newer book, The Wonder Years, or The Wonder... It breaks it down into like each little micro development that's mm-hmm. happening at every week of the the first few years of life. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see what's happening at two and a half. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. The one of the times in this last couple of weeks, there was something that she had a dream about. Oh. <laughs> A dog bit my toe. Oh, was that? Yeah. <laughs> She's never had a dog bite her toe, but yeah. it's just yeah, funny. Right. I'm like, yeah. wow, your little brain just concocted that in your yeah. sleep. Memphis, yeah. his is monster trucks. A lot of the time there's a lot of monster truck. And oh. he, I guess that there was a little boy in his room. That one really freaked Randall out oh, when he went in there. It's like yeah, a little like, sixth yeah. sense. <laughs> but normally it's, yeah, like... You know, something, he was playing and a kid pushed him or something. I mean, it's really sweet, but you can tell his little brain's just trying to work it all out. I think also we can tell with his cries as well. Like, there are times that it's like, whoa, like something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, he's not feeling well. Or Mm -hmm. if it's more of like a whiny kind of cry, we're like, okay, he just needs to be tucked in a little bit more. We need to burrito him a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are definitely times where it is the scream and you're like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, whether he's sick or he just needs a cuddle. I mean, really, truly, it's just going in and cuddling him and he'll go like right back to sleep right. um you know in a big boy bed yeah he's in a big boy bed now mm. i know it, we were nervous <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not getting that rid of that crib until yeah. she's learning how to get out of it <laughs> well he, he won't get out, out of it, it quickly well he did mm-hmm. the, early, like early yeah on. he started getting out of the crib on his own and then now that he's in the big boy bed we have kind of this little barrier gate thing it's not a gate but it's he can get in and yeah. out of it on his own uh-huh. but he won't huh. it's That's it's great. hilarious no august will be all up in our bedroom well we I'll thought that wait. too I'll- yeah. We'll revisit that. <laughs> That's yeah. how it's going to go down. Yeah. But I'm I also glad. think each child is different, and to yeah. label that too, because Zoe, who's actually in the room with us right now, um, she was a perfect sleeper. Like, I don't feel like we really had any concerns with her sleeping. We would lay her down, and she would sleep peacefully most of the night and then get up on a regular basis at, like, 7 or 8. And there was very much the same way, but Memphis was a whole different ball game. But his in utero experience was way different than my utero experiences with my children. And I think that has something to do with it as well. You know, if you have a stressful, chaotic, unpredictable pregnancy, I think sometimes your child comes out thinking, oh my gosh, is this world scary and stressful and unpredictable? And then we have to try to figure out how do we curb those memory networks even at an infant age. Going back to how do, how do we develop a secure bond with our kids? Because I think that might be one of the number one questions that our listeners are 
are trying to achieve. I think it's just like the day-to-day interactions that you have with your child. It's like the meat and potatoes of their like primary caregiving experience. Mm -hmm. So if more of your interactions are positive than negative, then you're on the right course. Yeah. Right. It's that simple. Yep. Maybe, I mean, it's probably not that simple, but... But I think it lays <laughs> the groundwork, right? And not only positive interactions, but children need to be touched. Um, for those of you who are unaware of it, there was an experiment done, gosh, probably in the early 30s. Oh, that I, long ago? I want to say it was pretty early, because John Bowlby really started doing his work in the 30s and 40s. So it was long ago. <laughs> But what they did is they had a monkey, a little baby monkey, and they had two different cages. And in the two different cages, they had two different maternal experiences for the monkey. And one of the cages had a wire monkey that when the little monkey came in, he could... Oh, like actually made a wire. Yeah. Yeah, like a wire monkey. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. if you see like old photos, it's in black and white. And it's literally just like this wire. It's like almost like chicken wire. And it just dispenses food. Like, I, it's like nothing romantic at all. And not even so, cute. Not even cute. And, yeah. uh, and people thought that the monkey would be happier, the baby monkey would be happier getting its food needs met. And so then the other cage had the wire monkey, but it was covered in felt and kind of had its arms out so the monkey, the baby little monkey could go and be cradled by this really soft wiry monkey but the the monkey that had that maternal mom that could hold it but that was soft was happier and healthier than the one that just got distributed the food and so it 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 goes to show that you know touching your your child is so important even if you're not feeling connected simply just holding the baby feeling that warmth that heartbeat is important for baby to hear smelling you the old factory smelling Um, Mm -hmm. is a very powerful uh, connection to children um, in that kind of way. So even even if you're not primary caregiver, holding baby is really important. Talking to baby is really important. Yep. And I'm quiet. Um, I'm really quiet. It drives Randall crazy. Like if there's a room full of people, I am quiet. (laughs) I don't know why. But even with the kids, like we'll be in the car ride and I'm driving and I will notice that I haven't said a word to my kids in like 10 minutes. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should say something to them back there. (laughs) And it's funny because when Randall's in the car with them, they're like all talking because Randall's a talker. He talks, 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 talks all the time. It's rarely quiet. But I tell Randall often, like, it's a good thing you're such a talker because our kids would be mute. They would not know, like, very many words because I am totally comfortable in silence. And so... because you have to talk all day. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. in sessions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the key things that I read and have heard, that if you are just an innately quiet person, that re- at least read. If you're a reader, mm-hmm. hold your baby and read a book, yeah. read a magazine, read a nursery rhyme. It doesn't matter. Just being vocal mm-hmm. and looking at your baby and having that eye-to-eye contact you're beautiful, even if you're not feeling attached, right? Making sure their physical needs are met, looking into the eye of your baby, smiling mm-hmm. and talking to the child mm-hmm. is going to start, you know, affirming this secure attachment. Yeah. And hopefully the rest will start to fall into place of feeling connected. I remember it could have been with Andrew or Carter, just feeling so exhausted and not wanting to 
leave the sofa really kind of in the first few weeks of having one of them just feeling like the best thing I could do was put the baby on my chest mm -hmm. right and I probably wasn't naked but the baby was the baby could hear my heartbeat and we just laid together and mm -hmm. I feel like you know if you can't do anything that's something oh, right yeah but just being at that point of exhaustion that's mm -hmm. what I had to do to nurture mm -hmm. the baby. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Dr. Bruce Perry, he is the founder of the Child Trauma Academy. Gretchen and I have had the honor to be able to train underneath the Child Trauma Academy and get certified underneath. Dr. Perry, one of the things he really talks about is heart rate and mm -hmm. rhythm and with infants and having that uh, baby hearing the heart rate and mm -hmm. uh, really 80 beats per minute is something he talks about quite often. And 80 beats per minute has a lot of symbolism in it, which is very interesting. It's, I guess, how many times moms rock their baby in a minute oh, wow. is 80 beats per minute. Uh, a lot of tribal communities, um, they play a lot of drumming music that's 80 beats per minute. So it's interesting that organically you went to putting your kids on your chest because I would imagine yeah. that even if you were feeling down and out that your heart rate was probably anywhere from like the 70 to 90 beats sure. per minute which is just really soothing it gave him something yeah, yeah. Yep. and it gave me something too yeah it, I didn't feel inadequate I felt like I was still with the baby and you know doing what I could to care for him at that moment yeah 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 now let's go into what if we feel like we really have caused some damage or harm for whatever reason. You know, it could be, again, some of the scenarios that I mentioned in the beginning, whether you had a traumatic birthing experience and you're just having a hard time getting back to your baseline, um, whether you're a single parent and really trying to figure out the parenting thing by yourself whether you're in a relationship with somebody that is uh, detached on their own, so you've got a, a partner that is not helping out. There might be uh, stereotypical gender roles that are happening and dad's just completely checked out and you're on your own. Or, you know, you're just, you're just not there yet. You just can't connect with your child. Does that mean that you've ruined your child? And the answer no. to that is no, <laughs> gosh, absolutely not, right? A lot of people think that attachment styles begin and end within the first year of early childhood, and that's not true. Even working um, at the residential facility for 10 years that I worked at, one of the things that I appreciated the most um, because of Dr. Bruce Perry and his neurosequential model of therapeutics and different interventions that he suggested, we started seeing some of those really traumatized and reactive attachment diagnosed attachment confused children start to connect through relationships. And it wasn't necessarily with primary caregivers, but it was with staff. And it was with staff that were there day in, day out. It was with grandparents. It was with aunts and uncles and neighbors that would just step in. Those caregivers were predictable. Those kids could count on them and knew that they could get their needs met. So one of the things that just I hold out for is that there's hope. There's yeah. hope even if there was mess ups or there were things happening um, in the first couple months of infancy that, you know, there there is hope that the baby can start building those attachments right. in a healthy, secure way. That's pretty tremendous, too, because 
children growing up in traumatic situations, it's nice to know that there might be some help and hope for them past getting outside of that Mm-hmm. trauma. I recently, uh, I guess it was last March, gosh, I can't believe it's been a year. Um, I went through a training, um, and Susan Johnson, she is a clinician that, um, developed emotionally focused couples therapy. She works off of attachment styles. And so we all as adults have different attachment styles. Um, and it's funny because during this training, learning how to work with couples and looking at their attachment styles, I was really able to kind of look at my own attachment styles. It's kind of scary. It is kind of scary um, because forever I was just like, oh, I'm such a, I've got such a secure attachment, which I do feel like I have a secure attachment to my, my parents. But I am also probably one of the most avoidant people I know. Mm-hmm. And my husband is probably the most anxious slash ambivalent person, personality types. And we have a very difficult time together because he is a pursuer and he wants to talk everything out. Everything. I mean, it could be, why did you load this glass in the dishwasher this way? And me being like, oh my God, I don't even want to talk about it. Like if the dishes (laughs) in the dishwasher, just leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think it's important for us to look at where do we fall in these Mm -hmm. four attachment styles? Because Mm -hmm. this could be an indicator of how we're going to parent our children or how we're going to communicate with our partner about how we are going to parent our children. Mm But it's interesting because me being avoidant, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm just neutralizing the situations, right? Like if I just get kind of small and I get quiet, maybe the situation will dissipate and go away. And I noticed that even with some of my parenting styles, like I am definitely like if the kids are not in harm or it's not something that they're going to break, I'm like, oh, they're cool. Where Randall's like, oh, my gosh, no, we're not doing that. Like so hypervigilant of not doing that. And so what I noticed in this training with Susan Johnson, well, not with her, but about the emotionally focused therapy is really learning about my own attachment styles and owning it Mm -hmm. and owning that I am 100% at times, 50% of the time, I'm 100% avoidant. <laughs> and and trying to recognize that and recognizing like when Zoe is needing me to connect with her and I am in my own head and realizing, oh my God, like I'm in my own head and she's been following me around for the last 20 seconds, like needing me to talk to her or Adler saying, mommy, 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 a hundred times in 30 seconds because I might hear the last 30 mommies and not have heard the first one because I'm in my head. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a pretty powerful thing of being able to look at these personality attachment Mm -hmm. um, types and recognizing where I fall so I can try to work on that so I can be a better parent in that regard. I think that's a great suggestion. I think one takeaway that I had Mm -hmm. with doing some of this research was there's that opportunity to understand your attachment style or you know mm-hmm. tendencies you can rewrite your story yeah you can train yourself to do it differently mm-hmm. as soon as you kind of understand where you're at and mm-hmm. I think some of the articles and resources I'll put on the web for everybody it simplifies it but it gives you a good understanding mm-hmm. and if you're feeling insecure about it I think there's ways that you can go about, you know, fixing it, see a therapist, talk Mm -hmm. to family Mm -hmm. or, you know, somebody that you trust and work through it, but kind of retrain yourself, retell your story, kind of get past that. And whatever your parenting experience was, it's not a lifelong, okay, so your (laughs) insecure attachment 
styled. You're going to yeah. be that way for the rest of your life. You can yeah. develop yeah. secure attachment in yeah. your adult life. You can work with a therapist. You can find a healthy partner that mm-hmm. you're able to sort of like work through those things with. And you can get to secure attachment and learning secure attachment, which is nice. Yeah. Well, one of the things that um, I learned also in that training is that we gravitate towards the way our caregivers, you know, set our attachment. That's what we gravitate to Mm -hmm. in our personal partners. Mm -hmm. So it's it's so funny to think about because we always think, well, I don't want to marry anyone like my dad or I don't want to marry anyone like my mom, and then you start noticing that your brain organically gravitates to what you're familiar with, mm-hmm. and then you start looking at your patterns of old relationships going, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like I have a clear distinctive pattern of being um, with avoidant people. I remember one of my most significant relationships, we never fought, but we didn't work. We totally did not work because neither one of us were willing to confront one another about like, the crappy things we were doing to one another. We were just like, oh, hopefully it will go away. Mm-hmm. And we spent like two and a half years together and ending. And I was thinking, we didn't, we didn't have a single fight. Like even when we broke up, he broke up with me on his birthday in front of a group of his friends. And I was like, well, that felt shitty. But there was not even a fight. He was just like, this isn't working. And I was like, mm-hmm, you're right, it's not. <laughs> like, okay. I'm going to go now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I'll pack all my things from your apartment and leave now. But, like, even after that, like, the, I think after that I got into a relationship with a guy that was a little bit more vocal. And that seemed really traumatic for me because he was like, no, we're going to talk about these things. And I'm like, What? You actually want to talk about this? Like, I can't do that with you. (laughs) I'm just going to be avoidant. So it's taken a long time for me to recognize how avoidant I'm in in those types of situations and become comfortable with who I am and that I have a voice and my voice matters, my opinion matters, that I am smart and I am capable and I can handle situations that come my way. But this is all comes from my early attachment, you know, of like, where do I feel comfortable in my being? And do I feel anxious when I have to confront somebody? Do I feel avoidant? Do I feel disorganized? Or do I feel secure that Mm -hmm. I have a relationship that I can go to and know that we're going to be okay? Now, in my, that's in my romantic life, but with my friends, I feel like I have such secure relationships in my friendships where I can go to a friend and go, man, that really sucked. And they can reciprocate and say, Dad, let's get through it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to think about it like that, too, of mm-hmm. you can have really healthy, secure friendships or relationships and then also have disorganized or avoidant or ambivalent relationships with other people in your life Mm -hmm. so it's not generalized with every relationship that you have but if you notice a pattern that most people in your life are disorganized and you too are disorganized that's maybe the time to for therapy the time to figure out like what's going on and why Mm -hmm. do i keep repeating these patterns Mm -hmm. When you are self- develop that self awareness to think about your own like attachment style, then you can stop making the bad choices. Mm-hmm. I think my twenties were just like <laughs> one relationship after another where I always picked a guy that was emotionally unavailable. Yeah, like emotionally absent because that's what my parents were. They're sort of sometimes there, sometimes not. I can't really predict, or they're so like wrapped up in their own stuff that they're not really paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, but it seems like you know that and that you've taken away, like, okay, I need to help my child feel more connected, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's a goal is to show my child that I feel more connected and that I'm here and you can count on me. Yeah. And that's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting that we can change the pattern in our children's lives even if we haven't gotten it does there. feel really positive Definitely. yeah that is a one of the great rewards of parenting I think I found so far and like there's more to come but is that I'm rewriting you know yeah. rewriting the story of mm -hmm. our just our family history and legacy and it's going to be different yeah so like we said attachment there's it's so complex there's so much to it I, i'm sure that we could go on and on but i think we were really trying to just you know do the quick and dirty version and really to say out loud that even if you feel like you're flubbing up on attachment with your kiddos whether you've chosen to breastfeed or to bottle feed it doesn't matter it really doesn't it's the connection that you have with your child um, you know, the way that you spend time with your child, put your phone down, right? If, if you're the type of person that likes to have your phone, put music on it so you can at least hear it, you know, sing to your baby, listen to music, dance with your baby. Um, I do, I do think screen time mm -hmm. is really a barrier to connecting with humans in general. Yeah. I think that that is another easy way to connect to your child is put your phone down and connect face to face with your children, play with them, get on the floor. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I don't personally do yoga, uh, but there's a lot of yoga classes that you can do with your kiddo, even on TV, mm -hmm. but just even one-to-one -one time, or if you've got three children just sitting on the floor and playing with them for, you yeah. know, 10, 20 minutes a day mm -hmm. is going to create that connection, that yeah. healthy bond mm -hmm. of saying you're worth it. You're worth it to me. Yeah. And focus time, like quality over quantity is really the thing. Yep. Like as long as you're present, presence is the key. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you spend three hours a day with your kid. If you're locked into Instagram the whole time, like yep. that is not as good as 15 minutes. Yeah. Just you really, they're the primary focus. You're engaged in a relationship with them. Um, yeah. That's how to do it. It can be done. I see it all the time. I feel like uh, we're we're kind of coming around, uh, you know, there was Dr. Spock, I believe, in right. the early <laughs> 60s and 70s who would probably have his jaw drop about what we're talking about um, because I think he preached the opposite. But I think we're coming around and, and really connecting to what we know that our children need and trying yeah. to really do the best for them. I know a lot of parents that worry about, am I doing a good job? And Probably, yes, you probably are. If you're worried about if you're mm -hmm. doing a good yeah. job, I think that says it in mm -hmm. itself that you are doing a good the job. First sign. Exactly. The fact that you're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Now, uh, soon we're going to have a clinician on talking about domestic violence uh, in relationships. And I think that that's really important because I think when we talk in here, we really. We don't bring up a lot of things that could be happening in a family, like medical issues. You know, if you've got a, a mom that is going through cancer and treatment and chemo and is preoccupied with a lot of that, or there's a lot of health issues or domestic violent issues, like all of this is going to impact the way that we parent our children. And not to say that we still can't do a nice job with it, but uh, I, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is how do parents who have other ailments and other huge things going in their life connect to the parenting when they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders and it's not just 
being a parent. And so we just, I want to say out loud that I appreciate those situations and sorry, we haven't talked about those yet, but we will get there. Um, but even if you do have the weight of the world, because you're going through deaths in the family or diagnoses or suicide, anything like that, that you still can be a good parent and you still can attach to your child as long as you're willing to put in those little moments, those tender moments, the quality versus quantity of time, you can give your child the world. I think that goes back to, you know, exposing that naked truth. Yes, trauma and really upsetting things can happen to everybody when they're least expected, but to be able to step outside of your comfort zone or your your box or your home or your, you know, secure place and ask for help seek you know refuge with your friends or family or somebody especially when you're raising children to know that this isn't just about you but you have these other little ones that are kind of going along for the ride but get uncomfortable ask for help I hope that one thing we do here at Parenting Naked over time is we just get people more comfortable with the idea of being vulnerable mm -hmm. and saying when something's not right yeah. and asking for help. And Well, we hope you guys can get naked with us, metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. That concludes our episode for today. Thank you for listening to Parenting Naked Collaborative. To learn more about Parenting Naked Collaborative, visit us on the web at www.parentingnaked.com or follow us on Facebook at Parenting Naked. Thanks so much and have a great day.